Heating Up the UK is part of the Big Heads Media Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. You're listening to Heating Up the UK, a Miami Heat UK-based podcast. Here's your host, Dan Healy, also known as At the Miami Heat UK. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Heating Up UK, a Miami Heat K-based podcast. I'm your host, Dan Healy, and today is the third installment of my Heat Media MVP week. And today, kaboom, we've got a big one. I'm delighted to be joined by uh, the television play-by-play broadcaster for the Miami Heat and Fox Sports Florida, it's Mr. Eric Reed. Eric, how are you, sir? Daniel, we're doing well and very happy to join you and, and your listeners over, over across the pond there. Yes, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. Um, before we get into anything, um, how are you? How is your family? Is everyone safe? Uh, how's Miami? Um, we are all, uh, my wife and my 14-year-old daughter and I are uh, safe and sound and staying at home a lot in Boca Raton, Florida. We live about 45 minutes north of, of Miami. Uh, mm-hmm. Boca Raton is located right in between Fort Lauderdale and West Palm Beach. So oh, wow. we're, we're blessed that we're home and uh, sharing this time together. And uh, we have two older children that both live up in, in the New York City area. Obviously, that's been so yes. hard hit by yes. the coronavirus. So, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with with people all over the world right now dealing with this, uh, you know, very unusual, very difficult circumstance we're all in right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're well. Um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, prayers up to everybody out there. Just keep doing what you're advised to do, as we keep saying, um, and then we'll get we'll get back to full health and back to some sports very quickly. So, Eric, um, as I said, so happy for you to join me. Um, now, you have been calling Heat Games for over 30 years. Um, absolutely incredible. Um, do you actually, do, do you know the amount of games that you've you've covered? Do you have a number? Uh, you know, I know it's over 2,000. I, I'm glad that's not one of your trivia questions because I would not be able to give you an exact number. But we're, we're, we're over 2,000. Let's put it that way. Wow, um, incredible! And over the time, you've uh, you've had the pleasure of working with um, some some incredible people at the moment. Um, brilliant team you you've got with uh, with John Crotty. Um, just to let us know who who else uh, over the time have you uh, shared a mic with? Well, I've been so fortunate. Uh, you know, this thirty second year of the Heat, uh, my thirty second year as a, as a Heat broadcaster, and I have been you know, blessed with that longevity and with so many wonderful partners. My my first partner for the first three seasons was a veteran play-by-play man by the name of Sam Smith. Sam had uh, been mm-hmm. the voice of the, the San Antonio Spurs. And when the Heat first started, uh, we we were one of maybe four or five teams in the league that simulcasted their, their games. That means doing it on television and radio at the same time. Right. And when the Heat first started, they wanted to find somebody – uh, if they could, that was an experienced simulcast, right? I think back then in the late 80s, uh, the Phoenix Suns, the Spurs, the Utah Jazz, and the Lakers were probably the last teams in the league doing it. And Miami was able to lure Sam Smith away from San Antonio. Uh, he had simulcasted there, and he became the Heat's first play-by-play guy. 
I joined Sam back in the 88-89 season as as the color analyst, and that's the initial role I served in for those first three seasons. Then in year four, um, Sam left. I moved into the, the position that I'm most comfortable and familiar with and and my natural position all along is in my career uh, doing play-by-play. And that fourth year of the franchise, we did it on both TV and radio. That would be the last year of the simulcast. That was also the first year the Heat ever went to the playoffs. And I worked that season with Dave Wohl, who was an original Heat assistant coach, later went on to become uh, the Heat's general manager at a very interesting time in the history of the franchise when when Mickey Arison took over ownership uh, in the middle of a season back in, I believe, 95, 96. He hired Dave to be the general manager and uh Dave was in that role at the time when Miami was able to hire Pat Riley away from from the New York Knicks. So that Mm -hmm. was interesting for him. After uh, after Dave left, I worked um, with obviously the broadcast partner of a lifetime, Dr. Jack Ramsey, uh, the late, great Hall of Fame coach who was, uh, you know, you talk about the luck of who 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 crosses your path and and who you Mm -hmm. get paired with, you know, to, to spend eight years and over 500 broadcasts with Jack Ramsey was truly the experience for me of a lifetime. He, yeah. you know, yeah. he, he, he was such a, a basketball genius and explained things so well as a coach. And, and for me, I, I've never heard an analyst combine both knowledge and warmth like Jack Ramsey did when he interviewed a player, whether it was from the heat or from another team, uh, you felt the knowledge, you felt the warmth, uh, you felt the, the love of the game and the command of the game uh, from Jack Ramsey, like few others in NBA history. So that was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we work with easy Ed Pinckney, who won a national championship at Villanova. He played on one of the best heat teams of all time, the 96, 97 heat as a backup center to Alonzo Mourning. And I got to find out in a year or two with Ed why he was always such a a great teammate and so popular in every locker room he ever uh, worked in. And uh, that was a great experience. Then I got to work with Mike Fratello. Everybody knows him as the the czar of the telestrator. Long career with Marv Albert doing the national games. And we got to spend a year and a half, two years with Mike. And then Tony Fiorentino was, uh, you know, who was an original heat assistant coach. Uh, mm-hmm. So Tony and I were both from the New York area. Tony, a great high school coach in Mount Vernon, New York. Um, so we had a similar background. And then we meet 32 years ago. He wow. as Ron Rothstein's assistant, me as, as a 30-year-old color analyst in my first year in the NBA. And Tony and I have been you know, extremely close as friends and colleagues for, for the whole 32 years. Wow. And we got to work 15 seasons together as broadcasters which uh, encompassed the, the, the championship seasons for Miami and, in mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of the championship seasons. And we experienced so much together. And, and that was a true joy to, to work with somebody that you were that friendly with before, during and after. And uh, that friendship is still very much alive today as, yeah. as Tony works with the Heat still, but just not in a broadcast capacity. Yeah. And then the last two seasons have had the uh, pleasure to, to have the company of of former Heat point guard John Crotty, who best known as an NBA player for his years in Utah. John played 11 seasons in the league, uh, mostly as a backup point guard to John Stockton, 
mm-hmm. with the Utah Jazz and and spent time being coached by great coaches like Pat Riley and Jerry Sloan. The one season he was with the Heat happened to be the same season that Ed Pinckney played, the 96-97 team, the original Road Warriors. Dan, I know that was long before your time as a Heat fan, <laughs> but that 96-97 team was truly one of the great teams in, in the history of our franchise. You know, 60 wins. Uh, they, they, they had over 30 road wins, best record in Heat history, or, or one of wow. the best. And, uh, you know, a team with Alonzo Mourning and P.J. Brown and Dan Marley and Jamal Mashburn and Tim Hardaway and Vashon Leonard. Uh, you know, really a great, great team that that yeah. ended up making it to the conference finals for the first time in our franchise history, losing to the Bulls. Uh, but, but what a great team it was. And John was on that team. Mm. And John spent a long time in his career after playing. Uh, working as a broadcaster in in both radio, doing the color on on our radio broadcast at home, and doing the pre, half, and post game as a studio analyst when the team was on the road. So he he got a lot of experience and and built his career as a broadcaster from from the ground floor up. And when the change was made a couple years ago, John uh, moved into that spot, uh, rightfully so. He graduated to that spot, and we've had... uh, a year and, and, and 65 games of, of the second year uh, of, of a great partnership and, and looking forward to resuming that partnership as soon as uh, we begin playing again. Yeah, absolutely. No, it is a great partnership. And, you know, following on from Tony Fiorentino couldn't be an easy thing because, uh, well, I mean, just a legend in his own right. So, but a, a brilliant partnership that you both make. And just the real definition of how many people there are just true heat lifers in the organisation. So um, that, that's fantastic. Great rundown. Um, so let's move on to a couple of things. Now, before we get on to some of um, the most memorable plays, maybe that you've uh you've encountered and witnessed um, and there are there must be quite a few um i just i've always sort of wondered what's the what's the typical match day um you know routine for you say you're on like a uh, on a road trip and you were on a second night of a back-to-back how would your day sort of from start from from the end of the last game to maybe the, the start of the next broadcast how does it follow do you do you fly out that that same night that you played that first game or do you fly out in the morning how does the routine normally work eric that's a good question, Daniel. Here's how the routine works. Uh, if you're on the road, um, generally, you're going to fly out right after the game. And when I say right after, that's probably about two two hours after the game ends is when you actually get on your plane and, and right. head to the next city. And, and you know, it's, it's a different kind of lifestyle because you're getting to the next city at anywhere between 2 and 3.30 or sometimes 4 in the morning. Wow. But I think most people that work in the league favor that. Because mm-hmm. I, here's the way I put it, Daniel. I like waking up where I'm going to spend the next day. Because yes. if you sometimes if there's not a game the next day, um, now that there's there are sleep specialists that make recommendations to NBA teams, uh, sometimes they say it's better to stay in the city overnight and fly the next day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that does work out well. I know I get a better night's sleep. I'm yeah. not sure how many guys go to bed, you know. At, at midnight after after a, a road game. But, you know, yeah. I, I do. Um, but then you burn what is an off day. You sort of waste half of that day traveling to the next city. So it's <laughs> it's a little counterproductive from from my purposes of always getting ready for the next game. Now, when yes. it comes to back to back, Daniel, uh, you know, for me, every broadcaster has their way. I can't leave all my work for the second game 
for the day of that game. Yeah. So, you know, I, basically I'm going to always have a good handle on, on our schedule a week at a time. Not yeah. much more than that. Uh, but if I see that a back-to-back is coming, I'm going to start working on that second game um, while I'm still getting ready for the game before it. So I'm, I'm going to get ready a little bit for game B while I'm, while I'm also preparing for game A because I, I can't do all of that work at once. Yeah. But if we're on the road, and it's a, it's the second night of a back-to-back. Uh, no matter what time I got in that night, I'm going to get up fairly early, uh, but probably between 7.30 and 8 o'clock. And I'm going to get right to my, my game prep. I'll do a little bit um, of getting myself ready, take a little bit of a break for breakfast, and then come mm-hmm. back and just pound away on my preparation uh, mm-hmm. uh, until I get everything I need done. Yeah. And generally... I'm going to be done at the latest by about two o'clock that afternoon and and um, and sort of put it to bed and then yeah. sc- scroll through Twitter. You know, there's always things to yeah. read and uh, stay abreast of the league. But, uh, you know, I spend I, I don't know. I never put a time clock to it, Daniel, but mm. it's got to be, I would say, six to eight hours of prep for each game. Wow. So yeah. wherever you can fit that in. And you know what I've learned after all these years? The, the game prep is important, but it's just a, a small piece of yeah. the puzzle of being a broadcaster because there are certain things you cannot prepare for. And, you know, so it's one level of information. I got everybody's years in the league, uh, what yeah. they're averaging, what they did in their last game. I've got career numbers. I have season highs. I have all of that <laughs> on the board that I prepare each game. I also yeah. have league stats and I have on, on the front of my manila, I use a legal size folder. Uh, some of my stuff is computerized. I travel with a portable printer, so I'm pr- updating my stats every day. I'm printing out my my sheets that have 13 players on uh, for each team. Um, and on the front of that uh, on that Manila folder, I'll have the games of that night. Um, and and I might not even ever talk about the games in the NBA that night, but that's an exercise that. Every time I do a game, I'm aware of what other games are being played mm. in the league that night. If they yeah. have any bearing on the playoff race, I, I will talk about it. And it may just be a sentence in a three-hour broadcast or not. But all the knowledge that I'm compiling uh, is just good for your basketball brain and, and soul. Yeah. You may not use much of it, though, because here, here's the biggest thing as a broadcaster. I don't. I don't force my information. I, I let the game dictate what I'm going to talk about. So <laughs> in, in the course of a, an NBA game, you know, it's going to take unexpected twists and turns. And it's how well you respond to what's happening right in front of your eyes. That yeah. is really what what determines the kind of job you're doing that night. So the prep is is a small but important part of it. Yeah, and, uh, and then, listen, we're going to have uh, on a game day. Uh, on the second night of a back-to-back, we don't meet as a group of broadcasters. But if it's a standalone game, we're going to have a meeting in the uh, hotel lobby or the concierge lounge of our hotel. And uh, with, along with our producer, who's usually Ted Ballard or, uh, or AJ Speaks, um, Ted or Bob Hewitt, our director, and, and along with myself, John Crotty and Jason Jackson, we get together and we talk about what's going to be in the pregame show that night. Uh, what we're going to talk about in, in the stand-up open of each game. And then our producer will let us know what what roll-ins he has prepared. We'll make suggestions for what we think should be included. And then, uh, you know, you have that meeting, whether it's by phone or in person. 
and then uh, you show up at the game. If it's a 7.30 game, we would leave the hotel by 4.30, um, get to the arena, get a bite to eat in the arena press room. Mm-hmm. We get to speak with both coaches before the game. Um, the the heat, the, you know, one coach speaks at, say, uh, 5.45. The next coach speaks at 6.15. So what it does is it affords media the opportunity to speak with both head coaches before every game. And mm-hmm. and what's been great for us for years, Eric Spolster has given, uh, you know, myself and, and the other heat broadcasters some extra time when he does his radio interview. And then we get some off the, the record time with, with Coach Slow yeah. yeah. and mm-hmm. get a lot of information, some which we will use, some which we'll just use as, as background knowledge and, and how to frame mm-hmm. what we're talking about. And then we get to spend the same kind of quality time with the other coach. Because one of the things I'm going to always pride myself on, and John Crotty as well, uh, we, you know, we want to tell the other team's story as yeah. intelligently and as well-informed as we can, uh, because that adds flavor to every broadcast, who, who the other team is and, and what kind of season uh, they're having as a team and, and you know, what kind of seasons those other individual players are having. So that adds flavor to every broadcast and texture, and, and it, it, all of that gets sort of put in your barn of information, and then the game happens, and and as I always say, off we go on another Miami Heat NBA adventure, and you, you never know what what direction that'll take us in, but it's it's usually enjoyable. Well, I mean, um, there you go. What an eye-opener into how much work. I mean, I have seen every, every now and then you put out a little tweet of your sort of game day stat sheet, um, and that just sort of gives you an inkling into what the, the the amount of work and dedication that goes into every single broadcast so uh just incredible um work um amazing really very eye-opening um brilliant eric right um let's get on to um what some of the things that you've seen over your career now there'll be there'll be some many many memorable plays that you would have called now for me um the, the clear number one for me is the, uh, the the Wade buzzer beater against Chicago. The this is my house moment. Obviously, the play, the, just the, the play in general, you know, the, the steal and then the run and the, the buzzer beater from the key. Uh, t- team that up with your incredible commentary. Uh, it was just an incredible thing to witness anyway. And then the the, the getting on the uh, the desks for the, this is my house. But what I love most about this um, this whole thing is I love watching it back time and time again and watching you because especially as you see uh, around all the different um, uh, camera angles for all the different replays. You can see you up on your feet as Dwayne's running. You can see the arms in the air as he hits it. But the best thing for me is when Dwayne runs over right by you to jump on the table. Um, this this absolutely awe-inspired, like a, 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 a in-love fan, just looking up at Dwayne and you calling like, you cannot believe what you've just seen. Um, that's, for me, just an incredible thing. And it's so emotional. Um, just get tell us what, if you can, like what was sort of going through, like the emotions, the adrenaline of during that moment? Well, truly a picture that, that says more than a thousand words for me and for, for all of us that experience a moment like that. Uh, you know, Dwayne's jumped on that table a, a number of times. Uh, <laughs> that may have been the first time. And, I, you know, one, I was worried about people getting, you know, one time uh, the table actually moved and some people got sort of caught under it and there was some con- a little bit of concern there. Oh, Another yeah. time I remember looking back at, at Tony at the time. And, you know, it's funny, there's very few things in broadcasting 
that that follow a certain formula that almost always works. And and one of the things that I that I help Tony understand and maybe a little bit John too. anybody that works TV for the first time. It's a very simple lesson on the greatest moments uh, for a color man. You let the play by play guy make his call. Um, it's my job to react with the information and the emotion. And then at a certain point, just zip it and be quiet. And at that point, both announcers should let the, the, the crowd noise and the pictures tell a story. And that's when the director in the truck will do his job and go from one camera to the next to the next with different shots that paint that emotional picture. And then the replay comes in, but that's when the color man jumps in and it prevents the announcers from stepping on each other. It, it, it enables both announcers to put their stamp on a great play and also lets the picture do the talking and let the whole thing breathe a little bit. And, 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 and I remember one time when, when Dwayne was on the table, there's a scene of me turning toward Tony and sort of yes. giving him the stop sign to let's lay out. And, yeah. <laughs> and that's me being a, a producer on the spot. Wow. But so many things are going through your mind. But, you know, more than that one, I remember the first one. I, I rem- and I truly remember the last time Dwayne jumped on the table. And yeah. they actually made a T-shirt out of that picture. It's a, it's a famous picture now in Heat history. Uh, it was Dwayne's last game at home, yes. the yes. win against Philadelphia. And so uh, after Dwayne, uh, Dwayne's last game at home, when he jumped on the table, and remember – his first jump was a failed attempt, and he actually hurt his knee doing it. But when he, jumped, when he jumped on that table, and it was right in front of us, and I don't remember what I was thinking at the moment. It was just pure joy and, and, yes. and the power of that moment and the love between, you know, the, the, the great fans of Heat Nation that were in the building that night and Dwayne. It was a great moment, and they took a picture of it. And you could see some faces in the background and, yeah. and fortunately or unfortunately, mine was one of them. And the look, <laughs> the look I had on my face at one heat fan tweeted out, I wish my girlfriend would look at me the way <laughs> Eric Reed was looking up at Dwayne Wade. But you know, that leads us up to, to the last game of, of Dwayne's career two years ago. And, you know, right after that emotional win at home, we get on a plane and we fly to Brooklyn for a back-to-back game the next night to end the season and, you know, maybe an hour or two before the game, there was real doubt whether Dwayne would even be able to play yes, because yeah. his knee was sore from that failed jump onto the table <laughs> oh, the dear. night before. But not only did he play, uh, he turned the 42nd Heat home game of the year because it seemed like there were more Heat fans at Barclays yeah. Center that night in Brooklyn than there were Nets fans. The win, actually, for the for the Nets yeah. – um, you know, clinch their spot in the playoffs. But instead of a celebration of Nets fans going to the playoffs, it was more of a, a celebration and a coronation of, of Dwayne Wade's final game. And, and it ended up as a, as a triple double, I think only yep. the fourth or fifth of his whole career. Um, and it's one of my favorite calls that I've ever had to make. One of my favorite moments that Wade would get a triple. I, when we had the celebration for Wade this year, that the weekend they retired his number, I, I called it the greatest 18 or 19 point loss in, in NBA <laughs> history because it didn't seem to matter what the score was. But with about 25 seconds left in that game, Dwayne was one assist shy of a triple double. We were yeah. very aware of that as a broadcaster. And, <laughs> and, and on that last sequence, he's he's handling the ball. And you got four other Heat teammates just standing on the court looking at him. And as I'm making the call, 
I, I say he's one assist shy, and, and guys are just standing around. And I, as I'm making the call, I say, somebody cut. Yeah. And nobody did cut, but Dwayne passed the ball to Haslam at the top of the circle. And UD had a, had a wide open 18-foot jump shot. And the famous picture from that is yep. Haslam releases the jump shot and Wade turns his back and starts walking down the, yep. the court with his hand extended. It, you know, Incredible. Haslam barely played that year. Um, he said he felt as much pressure on that shot as any <laughs> that he ever took in his career. But it was almost predestined. Uh, the, if there's yeah. a basketball god, he was he was uh, he was looking and had his fingerprints all over that play because those guys have been connected through their careers. And it was maybe the most fitting way for a superstar to end a career that I've ever seen. And it was just one of the most magical moments, certainly in, in Heat history. And I, I felt in, in, in NBA history to see a star player go out like that. It, it, it capped a great year and, and a fantastic career for Dwayne Wade in the Heat uniform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you say, just um, it couldn't have been written more in the stars with that uh, with that final pass. Uh, yeah, as you say, UD, wow, the pressure he must have felt on that one to be the guy that could have ruined the triple-double on the uh, on, in Dwayne's last ever game. But thankfully he made it and the rest is history. But uh, yeah, be- beautifully summed up. Um, I suppose really it must, it must make your job a hell of a lot easier when you've got players like Dwayne Wade because they just give you special moments. I mean, even quite recently... Um, the, the other one that sticks in my mind was the buzzer beater against Golden State, where he then went on done a, a big lap, um, everyone running around. That was another incredible moment. Um, but I suppose, as I say, just it, when you've got special players doing special things, I suppose it makes your job easy, does it? Oh, absolutely, it does. I mean, you know, I, you know through 32 years, we've had all kinds of seasons. You know, most of them obviously have been been very good seasons. Miami's been to the playoffs. 20 times through their first 31 seasons and and they were on their way they were on their way this year so when you think about it 21 playoff seasons in, in 32 years if you include this season <laughs> uh, that's an incredible mark of success yeah. but obviously so and even in the worst of years it's still a great job to be think about it, there's only 30 teams so there's mm-hmm. only 30 jobs in the world like the one I have yeah um that never really leaves your mind. You realize how fortunate you are to have the job and you just want to do it justice every single night. But the better your team is, the easier my job is, the more enjoyable it becomes, the, the more fun it becomes. And uh, even a year like this one, uh, the, the, the stories, the positive stories, the, the interesting stories, the good success stories, they were layered so thick that it made it made this season a joy, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Heat fans from wherever you enjoyed the games this year, whether it was Kendrick Nunn, uh, Duncan Robinson, uh, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, uh, the trades that brought in Crowder and Iguodala. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were so many good stories this year. Myers Leonard, you name the yeah. player and there were good stories and great moments to enjoy with them. So uh, the better the season that it is, uh, the bigger the games feel, the more energy in each game. But but it's our job, even in the worst of times, to to give people hope that maybe tonight can be your team's night and just, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of invest and attach yourself emotionally and mentally and physically to each game and, and enjoy the experience with all, all heat fans that that are watching. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Um, So just coming on very quickly, I'm a bit bit mindful of time. So um, so I want to get your quiz questions in as well. So just before we come to that, Eric, um, just quick, quick thing on the, on the current team at the moment. Now we're we, we're doing very very well. We currently sit still in fourth seed at the moment. Um, 
assuming we re, assuming we reassume the season, um, how far could this team go? This current team because it's a very exciting young team. I've 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 thoroughly enjoyed watching every moment this year. Um, you've seen a lot of teams over this. How, how exciting could this team be, and how how far could they go? You know, that's a great question, Daniel, and I, I, I'm not sure. Nobody could be sure of that answer. The, the one thing I know is uh, the team had 41 wins with, with 17 games left. So mm-hmm. even if they just won 10 of those last 17, that's a 51-win season and, yeah. and possibly more. It was one of the – it was the best, at least statistically, the best offensive team in terms of scoring and, and three-point shooting that the, mm-hmm. the, the Heat's ever seen. Uh we did have the fourth seed for so much of the season. Uh, at the time it got unplugged, we were a couple of games behind Boston. We were a couple of games ahead of Indiana with, with Philadelphia, maybe three games back. And, you know, I, I really felt like it's funny early in the season uh, and we're rebroadcasting uh, tonight's another rebroadcast on Fox sports son of a heat win yes. this year. Um, but that we've already rebroadcasted an early season road win at Milwaukee in overtime an early season game yeah, number game 20, a road Remember win that. at Toronto. And so the, we had an early season road win at Philadelphia. Yeah. Later in the season, we had trouble winning on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, for most of the season, we dominated the, the, the sub-500 teams. Uh, mm-hmm. As the season wore on, we stumbled a few times when you didn't expect, including that last game against Charlotte. But home court, uh, listen, the, the team is, as we speak, 27-5 and five at home. It's one of the best seasons at home uh, in Heat history. It's very mm-hmm. rare to get over 30 wins. I think the Heat have done it five or six times prior to this year and would have done it this year. But I think yep. securing that fourth seed and having home court in the first round obviously would have been big in getting the Heat to round two. And, mm-hmm. and I think more than how many regular season games Miami won this year, uh, this team was probably going to be remembered – by how well it did in the playoffs. And, and I think success uh, for this year's team would have been getting to the second round and, and hopefully beyond. Uh, I know that's what the team wanted to do to, yeah. to, you know, to, to win that first round matchup and, and get hot and make somebody's life miserable in the second round. And the East mm-hmm. did not have an immovable object this year. Uh, the mm-hmm. best team in the East, Milwaukee, Miami beat them twice. So and, mm-hmm. and with a third game that didn't get played. So who knows how far they could have gone. I think home court would have been key of getting out of round one. And once you Mm -hmm. get once you get that done, you never can tell what what kind of magic can happen or not in the playoffs. So uh, if the season does resume, I I don't believe they're going to be able to make up the last 17 games of the regular season. So it would probably be some sort of warm up. Uh, brief warm up for the playoffs and and hopefully we could get to that scenario but that seems yeah. a little far off and and we're just hoping at this at this point yeah absolutely yeah um yeah it, i mean pray for we're praying that we do we we get some resumption of it because what what was the thing i've loved about this season as i'm sure many many fans would agree with is for the first time in a long time we we didn't know who was going to win um so uh yeah it's um we, we pray and from miami's point of view as you say home seed is is key um, we, I think we were 18 and two at home against, yep. uh, you know, we, we had, we'd already won at Toronto. We've won at Milwaukee. We've won at Philadelphia. Boston exactly. is the one team that that's had yep, my number so far this season, but it's mm-hmm. a whole new game. You know, I've always said this about the playoffs. Um, 
once the playoffs begin, you, your regular season wins turn into poker chips that you have pushed to the middle of the table come playoff time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, fingers crossed we can see some some competitive basketball again. And uh, who knows, as you say, if we can get that, secure that seed and, and we can make someone's life a misery in, in round two. Who knows? So uh, fingers crossed we'll see how it all plays out. OK, Eric, final um, segment here is um, uh, all week so far. Um, I've been doing a memory quiz to my guests. They are five questions about the season that's just uh, just going by at the moment. Um, the first three questions are Miami Heat related and the second two are NBA related. Um, at the moment, Will went first up. He scored a respectable three out of five. Um, and then last night I was with Ethan Skolnick and he, he, he struggled, let's say, uh, with just one out of five. So are you ready, Eric? I hope so. OK, here we go. Question one. Um, Miami got off to a fast start this season. What was their record through the first 10 games? Through the first 10 games? What was the record? I'm going to. Uh, oh, boy. That is a great question. <laughs> let, me, let me think about it for a second. I'm going to say seven and three or eight and two, one or the other. Uh, okay, you you go, you go, you give me one. One of them is correct. I'll say eight and two. Oh, it was seven and three. Oh, rats. <laughs> that was okay. my first answer. Yes, you should. Yeah, you should have stuck with it. Yes. Okay. Um, right. Question two. Early in the season, Miami blew away Houston in a 129 to 100 victory in November. But eyebrows were raised, especially after the first quarter scoreline. What was it? Hmm. Can you remember that incredible game? Absolutely in the not. Uh, 40 no. to 17, maybe. <laughs> Oh, it's not far off. Not far off. It was a tricky one. Would you believe the score after the first quarter was Miami were leading 46-14? Wow. That was quite a tough one, to be fair. Okay, right. Um, question three. Um, on the 31st of December, Miami lost their final game of that decade. Who was that defeat to? That would be to the at Washington in a very disappointing game. Yes, correct. It was a uh, arguably maybe the worst uh, game of our season. We lost 123 to 105 to Washington in in a complete non-event from our point of view. And I think we was quite hot up until then as well, which was a uh, which was a shame. So yes, correct. Well done. That's one out of three so far. Final two questions are both now NBA related. So here we go. Question four: How many of the 30 NBA teams hold a record, a current record of 0.500 or better? How many, how many teams in the league are 500 or better? Correct, yes. Out of the league of 30 teams, how many hold a, a positive record of 500 or better? I would say 12 of the teams are above 500. That's very close. It's 13. Oh. <laughs> okay, so it does mean that Will continues to march on, um, but this will get you ahead of Ethan. So this is the final question. Uh, which player leads? Sorry, which player leads the league in minutes per game? Which player leads the league in minutes per game? Okay, it's either Damian Lillard or James Harden, somebody like that. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Lillard. Lillard is correct. Well done. Yep. So uh, two out of five. So you're in second place. 
uh, couldn't quite knock Will off his perch. But um, and think hopefully. about it, if I'd have stuck to my first answer, oh man, it's, I should have yeah. had four out of five. <laughs> but that, but that one question about quarter school, <laughs> come on, man. Oh dear, yeah, that was a tough one. Sorry, yes. Um, <laughs> That's okay. Right. Eric, um, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you tonight. Um, I've just got one more thing, if you don't mind. Now, we miss our, our Miami Heat basketball. We miss listening to you call the plays. But we also miss our kabooms that you've made famous. Um, I'm wondering whether you could do something. Oh, it's quite. This is quite selfish from my point of view. But can you call a play for me? Let's say we've got six seconds left on the shot clock. The Heat are down by two. And we're going to have a buzzer-beating winner that will end in a kaboom. But just because I'm selfish, I'm going to put myself in the Miami Heat lineup. So can you call a play that sees Dan Healy take the final shot of the game to win for Miami with a kaboom at the end? <laughs> All right. Butler brings it across, flips it a nun. Now to Robinson. The cutter is Healy. Healy makes the catch, dribbles out to the baseline, shoots the three. Kaboom. And the <laughs> Heat win it on the Daniel Healy corner three. What a finish. Oh well, I tell you, I'm gonna that that is gonna be I'm gonna be running around my living room uh, multiple multiple times listening to that for a long long time to come. That what a way to finish! That is brilliant. Now, Eric, um, thank you for, to you and John um, for all your work that you do. I know I speak for the entire Heat Nation to say that we're very very grateful uh, for all the work that you do for calling. Um, the best plays, um, the best coverage in the in the league, from in my point in my uh, point of view. Um, please, please do it for many, many, many more years to come. Um, and thank you very much for joining me, Daniel. Thank you very much for your kind words for uh, supplying this programming to to, to any Heat fans that, that might find it. And uh, thank you for the great work you're doing over in, in England and in London, because we, we care about Heat fans no matter where they are. And we appreciate you uh, helping to spread the gospel of, of, of Heat basketball over there. So thank you very much. Not at all. No, it's an absolute pleasure. I will not stop either. I absolutely adore it. So uh, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. That was Eric Reed uh, tonight um, to the, the, the complete installment free of my Heat Media MVP week. Tomorrow, please join me. I've got Jax coming on uh, tomorrow. That's going to be great fun. And then uh, your good friend will be joining me, Eric, on, on Friday. That's Mr. Tony Fiorentino. And then we wrap up the week uh, on Saturday with Mike Inglis. So continue to uh, to tune in, guys. Um, we'll see you tomorrow. Everybody stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow with Jax. Thanks, guys. <laughs>